face to face is looking right back at me It's easier to leave it all It's easier to fake it Welcome to 5 Simple Questions. It's my podcast. It's designed to let people hear what we may already know, or that sometimes what we need to be reminded of is that connecting with one another is really what it's about. Welcome to what I now know to be the season finale of season two. And, you know, it's funny because I never really know how these are going to end. And I'm sitting in front of somebody that I think that I never would have thought there was going to be a yes behind the ass, but there was. And so that let me know that this is exactly how I want to wrap season two. And Alex, my producer, and um, just brilliant mind who helps me put these things together, always tells me not to timestamp. But I want everybody listening to know that this is kind of a special day in the sense that we are um, sitting down on Christmas Eve. This interview will air on New Year's Eve, as we anticipate. And for a lot of reasons, Today is a big day for me and the whole conception of what Five Simple Questions represents, which is sitting down and having a conversation with somebody who has a perspective on life that seems to resonate or stick a lot deeper than the regular old people that we meet. And I love the regular old people, don't get me wrong, but every once in a while you come across somebody who feels like they've got a pulse on something that sticks a little harder. And so um, I want everybody to know that uh, I got Justin Converse to sit down with me this morning, which makes me feel incredible. So, Justin, thank you. My pleasure. Um, I want also the listeners to know that Justin, I told him before we started recording this, that when I decided to try to put this concept together, um, he was a major part of it. So, summer of 17 is when I started this kind of thought, although at that time I did not know what this meant or that um, I would have a podcast. I just knew that I was having conversations with people that were making a big difference to me. And um, Justin and I were in a car um, headed on a fishing trip and with, with a uh, great group of people one summer. And I just started asking him, you know, conversational questions like his favorite golf course. And through that his answers stuck with me and he knows a little bit about this because before we started recording, we've had some really good conversation because I wanted him to know what it meant to sit down with him and, and have his perspective on these things. So guys, y'all have been, um, you know, through season one and now to the end of season two, Justin, you are my 11th interview, which is one of my most favorite numbers. 11 in the world of um, being wide awake is considered a very um, powerful number. And so I didn't know that until I started thinking about how many times I've done this. And um, it just makes a lot of sense. So thank you again. And, I hope uh, I don't disappoint. <laughs> and uh, full disclosure, he, he says that, and I asked him before we started recording, has he ever disappointed? And guess what? There's a really good answer. Yes, of course he has. So I think we're in for a treat and um, I'm gonna get started. All right, question number one. Tell me something you've read that's changed your life, something that's stuck with you. And this can be anything. This is not necessarily a book or, uh, I mean, like, for instance, you know how much cocktail napkins mean to me. We talked about it before we started recording. Anna and I have had a great time talking about cocktail napkins. But it's something that you've read. It could be a bumper sticker. Well, I'm probably not as well read as your previous 10 um, uh, <laughs> interviews. Um, I, I feel know, like I, I read I all the time, but um, I would think maybe when I was presented the honor code at, at, at boarding school, okay. single page statement that governed behavior, okay. um, I would butcher it, but effectively no lying, cheating, or stealing, and you won't tolerate those that do. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, um, you didn't have to have many rules mm-hmm. in boarding school. Mm-hmm. And the enforcement, you watched a couple couple boys get expelled in the first few weeks over things that didn't seem, you know, meaningful enough for that expulsion. But the fact was is they violated the honor code. Mm-hmm. And that honor code kind of stood as a symbol for uh, just general behavior, expectations, a code of conduct that at boarding school in a place where being able to go fishing or get out and go shoot basketball or go, you know, to have freedom mm-hmm. 
you had to have an underpinning of, of values, right? Because adolescent boys on their own and, you know, it probably meant so much because I would, I'd been dropped off. I didn't know anybody. I was probably... Where, where did you go to boarding school? I went to the Baylor School in Chattanooga, Tennessee for okay. two years. Okay. My dad went there previously. A bunch of folks from Spartanburg did. Hugh Chapman went there. Um, uh, uh, there's quite a few folks that have been there over the years. But... Um, it dropped off and, and not And I dropped anybody. off would be a horrible way of putting no, no, it. My I, mom I and dad would have given me every advantage. Yeah. But I certainly didn't know anybody. I didn't know my roommate. And kind of the first orientation was... That document that you read that night. Okay. And then the next day they had an orientation around the honor code. And the rules were pretty simple. And, you know, even now when our families are horsing around, or I'm not a big rule guy. Yeah. You know, I think there's right and there's wrong. And, you know, and so I think that um, maybe that. But it, yeah. it's not a, you know, it's not a. It's a pretty simple thing, but but that would have been one of the more impactful things that I read because there was immediate enforcement, and then it proved to me that that kind of that underpinning of value of expectation of kind of how the community understands these fundamentals allows for a lot more freedom on every level. It allows for young boys with curious minds to go the places they want to go on campus and do the things they want to do as long as they were not ever going to violate the honor code. They were going to sign out here. They were going to sign in here. And, um, you know, it, it, it was very impactful to me. Well, it's interesting you say that because what I heard immediately with your answer is that with, um, with guardrails, with guidelines or guideposts, you almost are delivered a sense of freedom. And that freedom is, you know, to infinity. You can use freedom in so many ways, but with that grounding sense of guideposts, the the gift on the other side of that is the freedom. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. But the... Undercodes are really um, poetic, and everybody knows that I, I love... Um, I love song lyrics. I love poetry. And so I do know what you mean by the honor code. I think that those are... Um, essentially a little bit of the golden rule. It was the first time I'd seen it spelled out. Mm-hmm. And certainly it was eloquent. And I, like I said, yes. I butchered the presentation of what it was. But it, it was basically... Are you 15 unex- at this time? I'm 14. 14. These are unacceptable things to do in this community. Uh-huh. And if you do them, you will be expelled from the community. Right. And to have the honor code spelled out to me in a very fragile place mm-hmm. when I'm trying to figure out just what's going on. Right? Who is the roommate? I got to ask. Alan Carter from Knoxville or Nyota, Tennessee. He's a fabulous guy. We're still friends to this day. Okay. He was an unbelievable basketball player. He came from a rural town outside of Knoxville. Uh-huh. Um, so we were fast friends. And <laughs> right. It made it, made it so nice. Okay. Um, but, but he is now on the board of the Baylor school in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And, uh, he is a very successful insurance guy. And I think if he told you, when we sat up and said, you know, talked about the honor code that first night. Yeah. And the fact there aren't any real rules except for this, the, the conversation would have been pretty, pretty funny to listen to. For everybody listening, if you were to Google honor codes, there is a kind of a connectivity of uh, similarities in the ones that I've read. And so you're right. I think that um, having that type of guidepost is it's um, it's it's giving you a formation and a plan for freedom, and I know that that was super important. As you, I, I love the adventuresome side of you know getting started on something you did not know and didn't know anyone. Oh, I didn't want to go either. Let's yeah. Be clear. Oh, you didn't want to go. No, okay. certainly not. Nice. But, um, my parents knew best, and it ended up. <laughs> it ended up. Everybody listening to that, and I do have some young listeners. Parents do know best. Don't don't they have argue. More experience. With yeah, they got more experience. My dad says. Uh, you may be smarter than me, but I know more. <laughs> and he, he's exactly right. And it's so funny because knowing is um, an education that you can only have with experience, I guess. Certainly. Yeah. All right. So that's a that's a great that's a great starter. The honor code. Um, all right. As we move to the next one, what do you believe in without hesitation? Oh, and by the way, Justin did not get these questions in advance in any shape or form. So this is. I believe in family. Yes. I believe in friends. Yes. <clears throat> I believe in community. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe in freedom. Mm-hmm. I believe in democracy. Um, 
I believe that you make your own luck in most cases, but you need some good luck occasionally. Okay. Um, so you need preparation to meet with opportunity. I just think being intentional. Life so um, kind of comes so fast and has so many variables that the more intentional you can be, mm-hmm. the more you can kind of manage out some of the some of the risks that you don't really have to endure, right? And so I think being intentional, that sounds terrible, but no, it I, actually, think, I, need I think to know being a little bit more about that. is very, very important okay, in tell a lot me, of ways. Tell me what you mean by intentional. Planning. Yeah. You know, um, if you intend to write a thank you note to somebody, write the thank you note. If you write something down to do, do it. If you... Mean what you say. Yeah, execute. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. You have to execute, right? <laughs> yes. And so, um, and it's hard. That's the second you time to, you've used that word execute this morning as we've talked. You, you have to, I just think you have to be intentional about a lot of things to be successful and to manage complexity. You know, we all want complexity because it means you've had some level of success, right? Yeah. Whether it's in your family or whether it's in your business, whether it's in your social life. And the more complex things get, the more intentional you have to be to be able to manage them properly. Wow. Okay, so that to me is a really big statement because it's interesting that human beings do want complexity. Because it's, I don't know if you necessarily want it. It's just a product of kind of what you aspire to do. I know, but so as, as you move through life and you're, you know, whatever levels that you're measuring to your success, they come with complexity. Sure. And so your complexity is kind of totally related to your, your intention. You have to be intentional to get the things done that you want to get done. Right. You just have to be intentional. Have you it. always been intentional? Probably not. I think it's a learned behavior. You watch people. Did y'all hear that? That's a learned behavior. That means that you can be a 14-year-old listening to this right now and, and Google what the definition is of intentional. Like That's a big deal, guys. That's something that you learn. Tell me about that. No, no, you just watch successful people. Watch successful people in this community. And it doesn't have to be related to business. Watch husbands and wives, right, that are still in love after 50 years. Yeah. You'll find out they're intentional. Um, you, you, I just think that um, people that I see that are successful at whatever that you're measuring them against, right? Mm-hmm. I think you'd find that Mr. George Dean Johnson is very intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, he's incredibly successful at every level, mm-hmm. but he's very intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, there are folks in this community that you can observe mm-hmm. how intentional they are at what they endeavor to do, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's get around a cocktail party, make sure you see everybody, mm-hmm. check in with them. That takes being intentional. I'm terrible at it. I'm the first guy to the porch and sit down because, <laughs> but I just just think, in the cocktail party atmosphere. Just in the cocktail party yeah. atmosphere. That's right. But I think, well, I don't blame you. I've been on your porch. I would well, want to sit any right porch, there. Any porch, any place. But I think that, and people are intentional that are successful. Mm-hmm. You know that brings up a really interesting thought to me. Um, do you think that some of your intentions are premeditated? Like you start to kind of cultivate your comfortable level of intention, so you know that every day this is what you want to get out of this day, or you know ahead of every special project you're working on from a business standpoint, your intention is to X. I mean, I would I, say, I would I, say your intention intentions is, is are different habits. based on what you're up to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, in being intentional and reasonable expectations and you know, there's a whole lot, you can be, be intentional about something and still be terribly unsuccessful. Yeah. Right. You yeah. can be intentional and still not succeed at something. Mm-hmm. But I just think in most things, being intentional gives you the best chance Shot. of success. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think so. And that might be the wrong word. It's just a word I've always used. Um, no, I think it's a, I think it's a great word. And, um, interestingly, I've not heard that word described in this setting. And so now it kind of shifts my perspective on what that might actually mean. And the intention is basically what you believe within yourself to be possible. Right. And you said premeditated earlier and, you know, people take that word kind of a lot of different ways, you know, um, it's used, a lot of people use it in front of some really horrible words, but I think premeditated is very much a part of anything you do, right? I totally You want to try to figure out what you're endeavoring to do Mm -hmm. before you set out to do it. Right. Or what's your chance of success? How do you measure it? How do you figure out how are we going to get there? Are we not? Mm -hmm. Should we pull the plug on this? You know, if you're you're not premeditated in what the outcomes that you're hoping to get, then 
I, just, I think everybody is that way. Or I think, I think many, many people are that way. I think the people who are looking to um, complete those ideas or see the goal to uh, fruition definitely have that premeditation. Of, and, I, and I use that as exactly what that word is, um, a meditative state in, with a goal in mind. And that, in my sense, is a positive goal. So... If you're trying to predict the future, it's a meditative state. You got and it. And everybody's up to that every day, trying to predict <laughs> the future, right? You're so right. But the intentional behavior is, without hesitation, something you believe in. I can honestly say I've not heard it put that way, and it makes a lot of sense for people who are wondering, you know, what do I believe in without hesitation? Because that covers everything. Whether you're talking about from a business standpoint or a spiritual standpoint or a meditative standpoint, intention behind whatever you do will change the outcome. Or it certainly gives you the best chance of being successful, I think. And you can mimic successful behavior by being intentional. Yeah. You know, none of us How have... How do you mean by that? Well, none of us have original behavior. I mean, none of us. You dress based on what you think looks good. Yeah. And that's out, you know, and so... You see successful businessmen and women, mm -hmm. you want to replicate their behavior because what they've done has worked. Yeah, lead right? by example. Yeah, or you know, follow those that you deem successful leaders. Yeah, and, follow by leadership that right, you align with. Right, and so um, I consider that being intentional. Mm -hmm. um, you know, knowing that if someone's done something nice for you, writing them a handwritten thank you note and send it to them, you know, that is a intentional behavior, mm -hmm. but it's kind of regimented behavior, right? Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. And if you regiment productive behavior, yeah, I watch lots of people do it and I've received notes from people that didn't need to take the time to do it. And it was meaningful to me. Yeah. And in a world where everybody's texting and Snapchatting and Instagram and Facebook, <laughs> you don't have which I'll let you? your viewers, <laughs> your listeners know, I don't participate in any of, um, in that world. Uh, Except for he did know what a podcast was because my big pitch was, you might not know what a podcast is. And guess what? He totally does. People use them for <laughs> safety and all sorts of things these days. But anyway, um, I just, I think that uh, it's, it's a plain old thank you note is fabulous mm -hmm. in a world where instant gratification and people can deal with things so quickly that, and that's regimented behavior because it's kind of a pain in the ass to sit down and write a bunch of thank you notes, right? Totally agree. Yeah, but the person on the other end of it, it's worth it. That's one of the things where the juice really is worth the squeeze for sure. Oh, you know, yeah. it is. And so, you But know. what you're saying is the intention behind it is so powerful that no matter what that act is, you know, whether it's the phone call or the note um, or the, you know, signing the business contract or whatnot, the intention behind it is genuine. Sure. And so. if you get really, really intentional about it, yeah. you can have your people find people to write thank you notes to. <laughs> Because as blessed as we are, yeah. every one of us, if you can't go through a week and find somebody to thank for something they've done for you or your organization or your family or your people, you know, shame on you. Right. You've got it right there. But that's, it's that's, pretty easy to do. That's interesting. Is that something that's always kind of been with you, the idea of no, saying thank you? No, learn behavior. Um, if you had to put a ballpark on how long you've been thinking about it more I've introspectively... I've been writing thank you notes. You know, your mom made you write them yeah, yeah. for certain things, but I've been doing them intentionally since I got in business, since I was in my early 20s. And people appreciate it. Yeah. I know I do. Oh, yeah. Um, intention. Without hesitation, intention can be something to... But our question was what we believe in without hesitation. That's right. I believe in love. I didn't mention that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, but intention paired with love... I mean, sure. you, can, you cannot stop it. I mean, there's you no, can, no, no holds barred. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Um, here's one that I absolutely love asking. And what's your favorite speed bump in life? Setback. Favorite and, yeah, setback. Favorite setback. And again, I know that... You, I, and, Probably. You were successful enough in all realms of your life to know that speed bumps or problems in your life became silver linings for the greater good, for the better. I mean, we're all at that point where problems can yield beautiful it would, it'd be, solutions. It'd be a business deal just to keep anonymity around the conversation. I did a leverage buyout in November of 06, let's call it. I'm so glad you're telling it us about this. Couldn't been the, you couldn't have gone to the calendar and picked a worse month in the history of America to go do a leverage buyout, but I did. And, um, you know, I had enjoyed a period after I graduated from Wofford in 96 that 
We saw fabulous growth for nine years. It was hard to make a mistake in most everything you did. And, and so I was ill-prepared to do a very large, for me, mm -hmm. um, leverage buyout right in the face of a terrible recession. So the economic downturn came. <clears throat> this business was in sand, concrete, transportation, asphalt support, basic materials, and that came to a screeching halt. And when it did, you know, I had 385 employees. I had bankers that had the same kind of, you know, liquidity problems that businesses had. And it was a, just the worst of times. Mm -hmm. I had a wife that lay awake with me at night before I'd go lay off another 20 or 30 people. We laid off 184 people over nine months. Um, and my beautiful wife, who my only love, was there every sleepless night with me for two years, two and a half years. But in that, it, uh, um, you know, I got a lot smarter. You don't learn very much when things go really well. But when things go terrible. Isn't that interesting? When I, things I, are terrible, it's amazing how you pay attention. When they're going to come take your stuff or shut your business down yeah. or, you know, it's amazing how smart you get. You start to feel your edge and you understand perseverance. you start perseverance. to feel incredible pressure. Oh, yeah. And my pressure was first to support the people. And I did everything I could to, and the, we just couldn't make enough revenues to keep the everybody there. And so when you start letting people go, you're failing them, right? Can't make the revenues, can't make the profits, can't sustain the business. You're failing your employees. And, you know, it was just the worst of times. Dealing with laying people off, dealing with aggressive banks, you know, just, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, those experiences... You know, there was a happy ending. We survived. We paid our banks. We had, you know, courageous bankers come through and, and do deals that led to prosperity. And, mm -hmm. you know, we actually hired back probably 60 of 184 people mm -hmm. in the end and, um, you know, sold the business. And it was a fabulous outcome for my family and for shareholders and for, for everybody. But, you know, the, the period of time from, you know, can't make any mistakes and go do a big leverage buyout to um, the humility that came and uh, the... Uh, Talk a little bit about that humility because I think that people a lot of times have a hard time understanding what that means. But that well, means the down in the mud. That means... It's a ditch, right? <laughs> yeah, the Wheels that come off, you're in the ditch. You yeah. Know? And, and you're um, every man. I'm not every man, but I'm... Uh, but in that ditch, you are no, brought you, to... you got to be every man every day, yeah. period. But, you know... Certain people got incredibly wealthy during the downturn, but yeah. people like me that had leverage that was trying to grow probably at an irresponsible rate, mm -hmm. you know, we, they showed us religion <laughs> fast, fast. What do you mean by that? Cause that's, well, a, because that's a really great Well, you go great from making no mistakes to, to the bank saying they don't want to loan you more money and pay us back this money. And to do that, you've got to compress your business. You've got to sell assets. Mm -hmm. You've got to turn people loose. You've got to ask people to do more. Mm -hmm. You have to understand your business better than ever before. Mm -hmm. There was very little work to go around, so you refined your sales. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you got better at everything you did when it was horrible, which when the world normalized and... That's the sharpest point of uh, difficult places is you hone in on skill sets that... You either give in or you, you have to get... Get really, really good at what you do when things are at the worst. Yeah. And you learn way more then. You know, you just learn when things are really good. Was that just, the first time you were really scared in business? I mean, scared in business, certainly. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I've been angry and yeah, yeah, certainly yeah. upset in business loads. But that was the first time I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? Yeah. That was the first time, yeah. And I haven't, not going to whip it, I've, I've not really, it taught me a lot of lessons. You know, it's interesting. Um, I think that once you pull the Band-Aid off of uh, that fear, because I do think, and I say this all the time, you can approach it, you can approach things in life driven by force of fear, or you can approach things driven by force of love. Those are, if you pull everything down, it's I'm fear the, and I'm love. I'm the previous fear. Yeah. The fear of failure. That's in all these fancy tests over the years that I've taken. It's fear? Fear of failure is mm -hmm. kind of my underpinning. Mm -hmm. I don't really want to fail. So as I'm failing during that really bad stumbling block, you know, you got all sorts of emotions going on. You're failing, you know, you're failing your family, you're failing your employees, you're failing your shareholders, <laughs> you're failing it's, everybody. It's your, it's your worst bundle of fear. It affects everything. Sure, right. But, you know, I don't know who says, but what, every really big problem is a possible opportunity in disguise. And yeah. this one was because yeah. it honed a bunch of skills for me that I think How having, old were you at this time? I'm 45 now, and that went that went 
really bad in those six. Mm -hmm. So that's 12 years ago. So I was 33 years old. You know, full disclosure, I did a $41 million leverage buyout. You're so young. <laughs> sure, it was great. You know, I thought I was invincible, you know, invincible but yeah. wasn't the case. And uh, do you think that But I really, looking back, it's super important. Yeah. Super important. What do you think wouldn't be possible now if you had not experienced that? I don't like to handicap what would or wouldn't be possible now, but what I could tell you is, is um, it drove a little cynicism. Mm -hmm. You try to protect everyone to the, they, they're, most people are self-motivated. Mm -hmm. And it was a lesson in that because I, I would lose money a couple extra months, see if you could turn around ready mix mm -hmm. and then realize you couldn't do it. Go to people personally and tell them you're sorry and turn them loose and they couldn't have been more horrible. Now that's not everybody, yeah, but it yeah. was a lot of people. So maybe it gave me a little bit, made me a little meaner, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, it made me a lot took better. Took off the naivete of just being maybe young a little cynical and aggressive. would be a better word than mean. Um, yeah. And uh, it... Um, cynical is such an interesting word, yeah. I could see that. But it also, um, it just made you better. Mm -hmm. It just made you better. It made you ask more from people. It made you ask more from vendors. It made you drive harder bargains. It made you work harder to be successful. And, ask and more if you maintain yourself. those values, when times change and get a little better and normalize, mm -hmm. what it did is it set us up for, you know, a real good stretch mm -hmm. where we were very profitable. We were able to sell to a publicly traded company and attract good buyers to the process to drive value, which we were very blessed to have happen, but we made our own luck. You know, kind of went, had the worst of times, got through it. When times were good again, we kept the same values when times were terrible, and it allowed us to expand the business, drive some profitability, and ultimately get a sale, and you know, get out of something I didn't want to, I didn't intend to be in it as long as I was. Cycles are tough, right? You can have everything just right, Absolutely. and timing's wrong, and you're in a bad way. I know, and, and that's a really good thing for people to remember, but a couple things out of what you just said. Preparation and opportunity meeting is what I define as luck. It, it, luck isn't just, you know, floating around here in the space of, of all universe. It really is you were prepared, and you met it with your preparation and hard work met with an opportunity. Now, that it's up to you to make what you're going to make of it because no one's going to give it to you. Sometimes you need some good fortune. Sometimes well, you that's your opportunity. Sure, and maybe it's you just you, you expose or take enough bites of the apple that good fortune just shows itself. But mm -hmm. sometimes it's nice to have good luck every now and then. I like Get a good bounce on the golf course. Or, yeah. You know, just it's nice to have good luck. I, I do agree with your what you said that preparation and opportunity, you know, are important. But mm -hmm. every I now see, and I then, believe in it. I, I, I it. do too. I believe in it. But I also believe that you can have some good fortune sometimes. Mm -hmm. Just chance. What's your luckiest day on the golf course? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, oh, I don't, by the way, uh, Justin's a big golfer. Not and, a very um, good golfer, but I like to play. I don't know. You just have a lot of, they say it evens out, right? So yeah. I could probably describe my bad bounces a lot better than I could my good bounces because that's just how your mind works. Yeah. Um, do you think that your insati insatiable drive to um, succeed helps you fight fear? So that's your armor. Now, maybe it just occupies you. You know, and I wouldn't say it's insatiable. There's a lot of people who go a lot harder than I do. But I think that you can... <laughs> should, should I speak with them next? Probably, <laughs> you're, you're one of the probably, hardest. Probably, but the... You know, you can work smart too, right? You can work really hard and you can work smart. And then those guys that work really hard and really smart get to amazing places, you know. Um, I Fear of failure, mm -hmm. kind of, if you work, it's what you do. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? And What's so, the greatest sense of vulnerability? And I know I talk about vulnerability a lot in this podcast, but that is basically showing up and saying, I am willing to fail. I'm willing to show a little bit of fear, but I outweigh all of that with my perseverance. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, perseverance is very important, right? Yeah. But it's more important through the bad times. It's everything. Times. But see, you did It's didn't... easy to run. You know, everybody says... If, you know, how things going? They're going great. You know, time seems to be flying. Well, if time's flying, it's good. You <laughs> want time going fast. Yeah. Because everything's great, right? It's right on the rails. Mm -hmm. And when time slows down, you know, it's not so good. No. And, uh, it, you know, it can be excruciating sometimes. 
That's that's interesting because you have people always say like there's maybe like oh it's going by too fast time's flying but you're right when time is flying you are you are also flying and you're you're doing the best of your God given abilities to do and so it's a gift. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, all right. Name a person that has impacted your life, positive or negative. It's interesting. Most people for the first season named a relative, and that's no longer you can't you can't say mom, so dad, no, uncle, no Johnny, family. Yeah, um, but a person that's impacted your life, and it can be a person in a negative way or a positive way. I had a, a from, from this season a friend identify I'm, somebody I'm gonna pick, who's really I'm gonna pick, amazing. Um, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna use. So I'm in a forum, and mm-hmm. we'll just, for the purpose of the podcast, we're just going to call it forum. Okay. And I've been in it for a long time, 17 years, okay? okay. And it represents, it's, it, we haven't had any females, but that's, it's just been males from North Carolina, and I'm the lone South Carolinian. But, um, really? Yeah, and uh, at 50, 50. They're lucky to have you. <laughs> may, if there's, if there's only one. I think one. I'm lucky to have them. But at 50 or 51, you age out. And so what it's done is, is, you get to interact with now I'm one of the old guys at 45, right? And, um, or older. And, uh, I've just got to, it's a completely confidential, completely trusted environment with a bunch of people you respect Mm -hmm. and people that I've respected in the past, people that I currently respect. Um, and it is, uh, it's just been the most, it's been the most powerful thing to me to have a environment where you can talk about anything, get advice from people that are in most all cases are smarter, more successful. Um, and you know, anything's open, Mm -hmm. children, your marriage, Mm -hmm. your job, your employees, Mm -hmm. your investments, um, your deepest, darkest places, church, Mm -hmm. everything is, is open and everything is opened in a very structured environment. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's just made me, um, I just it's just created a network of friends that I wouldn't have otherwise had and interactions with people that I wouldn't have otherwise ever been able to interact with on this level and it's made me how many ever there's, there's 50 of them it's made me 50 times stronger smarter it's just you know it's um it's just been very powerful and then so um, it's that group that's impacted your life that group there's only eight or nine at a time but that group of people has been outside of my folks, has been the most impactful people I've, I've ever come across. Um, and they've impacted me in ways that I would have never thought. If you asked Anna, she'd say our marriage is better because of it. Mm-hmm. If my children knew better, they would say I'm a better dad because mm-hmm. of it. Um, my employees have benefited from it. My customers, my vendors, my community. Um, you that. know, I just, you know, it's a, it's a group of people that I'm just kind of indebted to. How important do you think it is for a person in a, in a, in a way that they would live full out, like I see you living a, a full out life, how important do you think it is for a person to have a place, like you're describing, to go and have full disclosure? And um, I think it's very hard to create. Of course, absolutely, because it's the, trust, one, it's, a, it's the ultimate trust. It's the ultimate trust. It is. In a non-judgmental environment. You where, just where said you I have a friend. And, Non-judgmental. And you can't, have, I mean, you, you, it's just hard to explain mm-hmm. to have a group of peers. Oh, no, I understand that, what you're that saying. That are smart, successful, kind, generous, mm-hmm. represent many, many, almost all the values that mm-hmm. you would hope to aspire to, mm-hmm. that you can, anything's gain. Mm-hmm. And I mean anything. The and, vulnerability and trust without judgment is what like from a humanitarian standpoint is the way that I think you have to, if you really want to take it full out, like we're talking about, you have to have that element within your life. I have that element within mine. Sure. It's not in a, you know, and that's a group of people that none of which are guest men, right? That's right. And so you put something on the table, you can't believe the way it's going to get addressed. That's right. And you can't believe the different perspectives and people will be... And that's empathy, honestly. Well, you know, there's nothing better than someone disagreeing with you. It either gives you the chance to show that you're right or it gives you the chance to humble yourself and admit that you're wrong. But there is... There is... Such a beautiful way to say that. But it is a beautiful thing, right? Mm -hmm. Disagreement Mm -hmm. is a good thing. Oh, yeah. We talk about As long as it's not on a regular basis and it's not aggressive, if you... There's nothing more fun than debating with somebody 
about something that you're passionate about. As long as it's in good fun, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. And I think that makes for good change, right? Oh, absolutely. At the end of the day, I think that, um, you, you know, know, I think it's things are to too change. divided now. Yeah. I think the whole, everything's far too divided now. But I think that, you know, with that division, ultimately should come compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially if you're in an answer. That's right. right. Yeah. I 100% agree. And honestly, change is so difficult anyway that I really think that the only way you can get another human being to change legitimately is by um, debating it out so that perspectives from both sides are seen to a level where you're able to alter someone's mind state. I mean, you can, you you can waterboard somebody to change behavior, but it's not going to last. The moment you can click it in here, then you're looking at possibility. Right. You just... If you make somebody believe That's right. your side, they'll change. Yeah. I mean, they'll change the strangest of behaviors. You know, your, your mom gets sick, smoked her whole life. They tell her she's got cancer. She mm-hmm. stops. Mm-hmm. I know. Right? You and tell her she might get it, and here are the percentages and everything else. She doesn't believe. Mm-hmm. When the doctor says, my God, you've got it, and you believe, A, it's too late. Mm-hmm. But you can modify the most destructive of behaviors just with that epiphany of belief, right? That, that's what and I'm talking about. The only way you get there, if people are on different sides, is to hash it out. So do you feel like um, that type of setting has, with those people, have affected your life in a way? In every you, way. In every way. In every way. Well, you've identified and touched base on every every, in every way. way. And then I would say another person... Seek these people out, guys. Um, you know, Justin has found it in the way that he's found it within a, what he calls a forum. But these are the people, your inner circle, I call them my tribe. I, I have these people in my life. This is an important thing to cultivate. I believe it. Yeah, I think you got to have it. Yeah. There's think, no, we talked about blind spots. There's no way to, like, these people help you see your blind spots. Oh, they, they enjoy pointing them out. <laughs> right? Which is, which is what you want. That's but there's nothing better than to have somebody say, yeah. boy, he doesn't even see that kind of destructive behavior. With no judgment, to. it's it's absolutely a gift. Yeah, no doubt. Um, what's your favorite thing about you? I have people who have a hard time answering this, and then I have people who are like, oh, this is my favorite thing about me. My favorite thing about me. <laughs> and I can't just defer to my children and my wife. Well, you know, obviously. That's the favorite thing yeah, about me. Or of course. You, Mariana, and Anna. And of course and we my all dad do and my in-laws and Paul and Charles and... Paula Baker and Stan. I have a. I'm blessed to have a big family, which Great I never family. grew up with. Right? Yeah. Adopted only child. But um, my favorite thing about me is my children and my wife. Your family. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite thing about me. If I had to kind of see what I have the most pride in, mm-hmm. um, see what motivates me the most, what makes me. Um, I think it's a great answer. That's the favorite thing about me yeah. is that I'm fortunate enough to have the wife and children that I do and the parents that I've had and so on and so forth. But yeah. that would be my, my favorite thing about me. All right. So I, I think no one has ever answered that, and I think that that is a wonderful way to answer that question. And um, You want I, me to sell out and answer it with a, with a behavioral? Um, <laughs> I try to lead more than I take places. I try to be. God, kind. that's okay. So now we here we are. That's that's I, a great I, I, thing I to do. I do my best to do that. I've, I've, Say that again, real quick. I try to lead more than I take. Yeah. I just in general, I try to be nice to people. Mm-hmm. You know, the last question was about who is most important or meaningful or impactful, negative or positive. And if I were to pick one person, it would have been Rob Chapman. Um, and so, you know, you you. Another person, very intentional. Um, that is such a good way to describe him. Very I mean, the years that I knew him, super kind. Yeah. If you walk, through, if you had the dream of walking through the mills with him and Norman, you'd see two people the employees loved, engaged. You see family business at its best. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't matter who he. Uh, he was kind to everyone. He was consistent in his behavior. He was always consistent in his behavior. He, um, and, you know, those are the things that I try to do. Now, they wouldn't be my best qualities because I still try to be kinder to people. Mm-hmm. I try to be more consistent. Mm-hmm. Try to let people know where I am on things so that 
they don't question it. If people mm-hmm. know where you are, they can dodge you or engage you, but at least they know where you are. Mm-hmm. And so I try to be fairly predictable in that sense that people don't have to usually go looking to know where I stand on something. But um, I believe I, that consistency is one of the highest forms of love. I think in any setting, business or personal, that if you can consistently react, show up, respond, agree, disagree, but if you can do it consistently, then what you're ultimately saying is that I love this situation or this person enough to consistently show up. And for somebody to kind of get to your inner circle, they have to be consistent because you, you, you know, we all have people in our lives that you just don't know which version you get day to day and there's nothing that will drive you more crazy than that, right? I think someone that's can the definition be, someone of Someone can have bad, I hate, I mean, people can not be exactly what you want, but if they're consistently not what you want, they become what you want, right? And <laughs> that's so a funny. terrible way to put it. But. I talk about this with some friends all the time. I, I'm, anyway, even if you're consistently always in a bad mood, well, this person's always yeah, in a bad mood. Yeah, here comes the grouch. Yeah, you know, it's right? just they're, that's go. their thing. They're yeah. consistent. Yeah, and so... Um, but You're not taking it. yourself too damn serious, is, I think, is real important, right? The old adage is somebody prettier, smarter, richer, yeah. Yeah. faster, can jump higher, shoots better. And so I think kind of not no. taking yourself too damn serious and realizing that um, you might as well enjoy it. You know, it's <laughs> you, not a dress rehearsal, right? That's and right. So you got one shot. If you asked my dearest friends, they'd say that, that I, I, I work hard, I play hard, I try to get the most I can out of things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to... Leave more than you take. I'm going to leave more than I take, but while I do it, I'm going to enjoy this life the best I can. You know, none of it's... None Not of it's scripted. Me. None of it... You don't know when it when it starts and stops. And so... Um, that takes a great deal of courage. You know, my 25-year-old self, to hear that, like, I got what that meant, but it wasn't until later in life that I started to realize how that formula was ultimately the release of freedom, which is really leave, living out the honor code the best you can live it out. Right, but if life's experiences, right? That's right. You know, I've heard a lot of people, smart people say, you know, you can get many, many lives in one because if it's just experiences and you're overloading you're pushing hard as you go. Mm-hmm. You're pushing with your family. You're pushing with your business. You're pushing with your friends. You're pushing with your passions. Then you can just have more experiences. And, you know, your children will be your legacy, right? So you better get that one right. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that I'm on a good path with that. Um, but beyond that, might as well breathe it all in, right? That's right. And, um, I, and I, try, I try to do that. And I think most people would say that, that I do that fairly well. So yeah. I'll, I'll call that. Okay. Uh, so those would be my... That's your thing. favorite thing about you? Favorite thing about me. Yeah. <laughs> those are some really good things. And, you know, not knowing you as well as some of your closest friends, those are things that even from my position, knowing you, I can see so clearly and think that's a, that's a good way. It's a good approach. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So we've officially finished the interview, but you've got a zinger question. And... Um, the Zinger question started from, as a lot of the listeners know, my massive love of music. And so I thought, oh, well, at the end of every interview, I'll just ask everybody their favorite song and I'll be making notes and I'll have, you know, a great uh, reason to check out some new songs. Maybe I know, maybe I don't. But I want to tell you all a story about Justin. And again, I'm putting you in a position where you're like, geez, I don't even know what she's talking about or remember that night. But we were at a dinner party um, some time ago. And we all finished dinner, and everybody was going to hang out and have drinks, and it was a wonderful night to kind of continue on. It, there was just a good good vibe going. And um, I watched you call out a song. And I'm a, because I'm a huge music lover, I'm always curious on what we'll listen to what, and, and how is that going to affect the people in, in the room. And I watched you call out um, Althea by the Grateful Dead. And Justin, I will never forget it. I watched this group, and maybe there was like 12, 14 of us, I watched this group shift in to what became the next two and a half hours of an incredible night. Like that song um, just made the transition into just so much fun. And, and, and I thought, what an interesting choice. I would have, because I like music so much, I would have never thought it was going to go there. And when you called it out, it just made all the sense in the world. And I watched people change. And I believe that music is one of those things that can unite people whoever they are, whatever they like, whatever their thing is, music can do it. Um, 
And I will have to say, because of that night, I have also called out Althea in a group setting. And it works the same way. Like people, it just all of a sudden it just starts to feel just right and it goes on to become a great night. So that's something that you gave me in my back pocket and it will change a group. So I'm not going to ask you the song, although if you've got one on the top of your head, please tell me. But I do have a question I'd like to ask you as a final question. But I, do you have a song on the top of your head? Because you are a music lover. Just depends on what you're up to, right? Okay. Driving Marvin around. Marvin Gaye, let's get it on. Yeah, that I means mean. I'm dancing with Anna yeah. and I'm having a good time. Yeah. And so it would just, you'd have to give me the setting. That night it was in Montana, right? We were up at Andrews. No, we were we were somewhere else. I can't remember where we were. So, that. you know, I would say the setting. The set, yeah, the setting. There's some awfully good Earth, Wind, and Fire songs yeah. at the right time. Yeah. And there's some, you know, very <laughs> white songs. There's some very right white songs you'd like to listen to from time to time. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that. You know, as you said, music is so, Powerful. so good. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But it just depends The great on, uniter. Yeah. But um, there's nothing worse than the wrong music <laughs> at the wrong time. I've been and there there's too. there's nothing better than the right music at the right time. Yeah. And it's always different music. Yeah. Coming out for a football game is different than, you know, having a candlelight dinner with your wife, which is... And so setting, yeah. you got to present the setting to answer your favorite song. Right? Okay, so you've got. But there's a bunch of them. Althea by the Grateful Dead is one of my yeah. favorite songs. There's ten Almond Brothers songs that I wouldn't want to choose from yeah. because I like them all so much. Um, I love a bunch of Traffic and Steely Dan. Oh yeah. And Absolutely. so um, I wouldn't want to have to pick a favorite song unless you uh, well, when, you, you frame the setting. Well, that's a that's a really great way to throw that back in my court. I'll have to say the bands that you've listed are, if you don't already have those in your playlist on the regular, you should. And um, obviously going into the holiday weekend, so to speak, we got plenty of time to be queuing up, but you're a heck of a DJ. And um, I, I appreciate you teaching me that little Althea trick. There you go. But here's my question. And it came to me in the middle of the night a few nights ago. And it's a question that you've talked about your forum. I have this inner tribe of people that I talk to um, about every major decision that I do and, and kind of feelings that I'm going through and things that I'm challenged with in life and things that I'm excited about and happy about. But um, in the last couple of years, I have been really interested in one question. And I ask myself all the time, and I ask these folks too that are in, in that inner tribe, what do you think makes a leader? What do you think makes a good leader? What do you think makes an exceptional leader? Exhibiting the skills that people want to follow would be. How do you mean? You know, you have to you have to prove that that you can do what you're asking people to do. You have to prove that you have the competency and the skill sets that people want you to have. You have to have a personality where people think you um, that you care. You also have to have a personality that you demand respect. Um, but in the end of the day, you you cannot be a leader unless people will follow you. Even if you have, you just find yourself in the good fortune of leadership, you'll fail mm-hmm. if people won't won't follow you. And so, um, I think that kind of like the music question. I think that leaders have different qualities as they endeavor to do different things. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a minister in a church and the qualities that make him a great leader, or whether it's a field general in the army mm-hmm. make him a great leader. Whether it's a business CEO or chairman that whether it's somebody running a ministry or a youth group, mm-hmm. the, the, you know. But there's gotta be a, a guy running a business. How about this? How do you be a good leader running the business of a hospital? How complicated is that? I you have to imagine. make a profit off of healthcare, right? Mm. So imagine the qualities, the empathy, the attention to detail. And I'm just, I just brought that up because my dad's been really, really sick and it's Christmas Eve. And um, the Spartan Regional Medical Center has had my dad in care ranging from the pavilion ICU critical care, the fourth floor to their sixth floor to both floors of restorative care to the heart center. And, um, you know, this holiday season, I find myself really grateful for the medical care and the empathy and the technology and all the smart people that are dedicated to making us all better, live better. Um, and the what I've come to realize in the last month is, is, you can't have a great community without a great hospital. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it. And Bruce Holstein, is the, he runs the Regional Medical Center. I guess it's called the Spartan Regional. They're going to buy Mary Black, which I think is a fabulous thing because it'll 
create a platform asset in Spartanburg. And, um, and I'm not speaking from a doctor's perspective or any, but just I am blown away with how smart the doctors, the nurses, the caregivers, right down to the receptionists, the janitors, everyone in the hospital has made me a believer in that, you know, people like the Montgomery family and the Gibbs and people that have invested in, in Billy Webster, people that have invested in the hospitals, I've always kind of taken that like, you know, why would you invest in the hospital? Isn't it kind of a given? Well, the fact is, is it's not. It's the, our hospital is a pillar to our community. It's all of our, my dad would be dead right now if it wasn't for the expertise and the quality of care that's going on at Regional Medical Center right now. And, um, you know, this holiday season, I find myself really grateful for those people. Mm -hmm. And um, as I look at leadership, you know, the hospital, you know, right down to the floor nurses that have all sorts of the worst kind of crisis going on, all the way up to the CEO. I look, and in any organization to be successful, you have to have that leadership at every single level, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would hope that if, if I walk out of here and get hit by a beer truck, I would hope that I have folks in my organizations that are ready to lead the businesses on behalf of my family. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, the best part of being a leader is covering your blind spots like we talked about, picking those folks that represent all of the things that you don't. In my case, you know, I'm not organized. I've got organized people. Um, I don't like details. I have detail-oriented people. You know, if you can humble yourself to see your own blind spots or have people point them out in a nice way and then cover them with really smart people that excel at those things, then that's what a leader does, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Um, a guy asked me a question the other day, Sandra, that I thought was amazing. He was around the table at a hunting lodge, and he said, um, what do you think the most important thing in the history of America is? What one Great event, questions. what one event, and so what would your answer be? You've been able to ask me six questions that I was unprepared for, right? So that's an impossible question. It stumped me, and I tried to come up with, you know, some creative answer, and he cut me short, which I'm going to save you right now. And um, he said, it was when George Washington peacefully transition power to the next president. He showed the whole world that this experiment in freedom and democracy is real. And there wasn't gonna be any monarchs or dictators and whoever the people elected. Well, you know, what kind of leadership is that, right? Right? That is absolutely And so I, after thinking about it, you know, this gentleman who brought it up that night was exactly right. You know, when, when he peacefully transitioned power, to the next elected president, he showed the world what democracy is, what a republic is, mm -hmm. what freedom is, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you look to leaders, you know, they do all sorts of incredible things, right? Mm -hmm. All sorts of incredible things. But I think it really depends on what you're endeavoring to lead. Mm -hmm. And I think people that are so multifaceted, they can lead in a lot of things. They have different styles with each. Totally agree. But you know what you've pulled out of this interview in general, but also with that story that you just told of the question, are two things, and everything that you said today have, have essentially defined by these two things. Consistent authenticity. You show up and you believe in the reasons you're showing up. Consistent authenticity. Justin, I cannot thank you enough. This is you. My pleasure. I survived. I appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.